thank you for your liberality this morning. We had a great time yesterday, so before we get started, have Curtis and Rebecca to come. We're going to give a testimony. Give them a hand as they come up here this morning. Yeah. Hello. Um, for those who don't know me, my name is Rebecca. Um, Yesterday we went out um, and did an outdoor concert. It had actually been a really, really long time since I had gone. I think for um, a long time I kind of let fear grip me and I didn't want people to reject me or be mean or, you know, we I didn't want to get the cops called on us, that kind of stuff. And I think the longer I went without going, the easier it was to not go because the fear got worse. It got more intense. Every time I would be like, okay, well, I'm going to go. And I would just let fear stop me. Um, so yesterday I went um, and uh, I was able to witness to people. Um, people were really, really open. People were asking me, how long are you going to be out here? How, you know, how often do you guys do this? What church is this? Or I love the music. Um, I was able to witness to at least four people that were really, really open, even though I didn't pray with anyone. And not only did it help others, because right now, with everything that you see on the news, you read about, it's all negative. We're all kind of being um, put against each other. And it's, um, you know, just fear is being instilled in people every day through the news, through reading, just negativity. People are, um, you know, just against each other and right now I felt like because people have been out saying what they want to say it's like I feel like God gave me a boldness to go out there and be like no you know we have a right too to go give people hope and you know let them know that God set me free from my depression and my immorality and um, just my mind that I had my hatefulness that I was set free from a long time ago so I'm really grateful that I went out because it just like I said, not only remind, gave people hope, but reminded me of like what God has done in my life. And I'm just really, really encouraged to go next time and just let God use me and not have fear like I have in the past. Amen. Very good. Amen. Um, this truly is a, uh, you know, victory report about um, our outreach yesterday. It was a it was a really good time. Um, you know, I believe that God's really given us favor um, in the area where we're outreaching yesterday. And it was just amazing. Um, I was telling some of the brothers the response, you know, the response that we're getting in that area. You know, as soon as we set up and as soon as the, the music started playing, the testimony started going, people actually started coming up to what we were doing. And, you know, I even got the opportunity to, to talk to a, a young man named Joe. He said him and his wife, the, I mean, it was so loud that it was reaching the apartments behind Tech Center. And he heard um, what was going on. And then he said, he said, I came over here because I heard come get saved. And he's, I grabbed my wife and we came over and we said, we got to hear this. And he came over and, and fellowshiped and met, uh, you know, some of the brothers and sisters that are out there. And, you know, just favor with the, the security guard. He was loving it, videotaping and, you know, telling us that he's, he's like, you know, getting paid to watch a concert. So we had, <laughs> we had favor, you know, with, with everyone that was around. You know, there was, a, there was lots of people who were open and interested in hearing what we had to say. 
Um, and I think it's a testament of what God is doing in the earth right now. And, you know, as we, um, you know, like Rebecca said, we, we hear what's going on in the earth and we hear the things on the media. But when we really key in and we get a hold of God, I believe that God is, is telling us to go. God is telling us to evangelize. God is telling us to witness uh, because that that's the heart of God. That's what he wants his church is what he wants his people to do. And so I just want to encourage you with this this victory report. We're going to be out there. Uh, but even in your own time, you know, it, it is a time to, to share your faith. It's a time to witness and evangelize and challenge the views that are out there. So um, as we hit the streets this summer, we encourage you to come out and join us and do something for God. Amen. Amen. Romans 12. Yes, your Bible is Romans 12. Uh, very good. Amen. Appreciate those testimonies. I don't know if you've read the book uh, called Endurance. Uh, great read if you hadn't. It's not that big a book, but a lot in it. Uh, the book Endurance. It's about Shackleton, these men. Uh, let me give you a little bit here. August 1914, they set sail across the South Atlantic. Uh, the objection of this expedition was to cross, to cross Antarctic overland. It was a thousand-mile voyage uh, in an open boat across the stormiest oceans on the globe filled with glaciers and mountains. So this is a dangerous trip. This wasn't just a, a flight across a couple of states, amen. This was a 1914, amen. So they didn't have what we have today, 1914. And what got my attention here uh, as they're going to make this trip was the uh, the, was the requirements if you're going to take the job. They needed men. Uh, they come on board men that would uh, want to take this trip with them. And let me read you the job requirement here. It says this, men wanted for hazard, hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of dark, or complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success, absolutely. And it says men flocked to the challenge. Hundreds of men showed up uh, uh, for this because, you know, life's not all about money. It's about challenge. Uh, men love to be challenged. And, and thank God for these requirements because on uh, January 18, 1915, uh, we see uh, the endurance was almost there. It had 100 miles to go, one day journey to complete the trip, but their, but their ship got uh, trapped by ice. Not only get trapped by ice, but the ice began to crush their ship. And the book reads, for, for 497 days, Shackleton and his men were castaways in one of the most savage regions of the world. The book finishes by saying, uh, Shackleton and his men, through courage, determination, vision, and a will to survive, they made history. And thank God for the requirements here. Because if it wasn't for them requirements, you got wimpy men uh, on this ship in the day of trial, they would all die. Uh, but because these men met the challenge, complete darkness, uh, long months of it, bitter cold, uh, hazardous journey, uh, they rose to the challenge and they survived because they had something in them. Our text is about a challenge here. Our text is about a high requirement uh, Living for God uh, is not just a 30-second journey. You can get saved in 30 seconds, but living for God is much more than that. Uh, uh, amen. It requires a surrendered life, a life that will embrace 
uh, complete the word of uh, co the complete word of God. So the word of God is a challenge to you and I. And the reason why Shackleton uh, requirement for this voyage was so high is because he knew that he if they got caught in the ice, uh, they might get caught in the ice at some point. What's in the man at that point would be life or death. What's in the person once you're caught in the vice of ice, uh, your attitude, your mindset would be the difference between life and death. The Christian life is not always smooth sailing. How many know that? There are some mountains to climb, rivers to cross, and some deserts to pass through. Uh, and these time, what's in you does matter. And with this in mind, this is what Paul is coming to the Roman church with, with this text we're going to use, Romans 12, 1 and 2. It says these words to him, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I'm asking you this morning, God, to move, help us, God, speak to every man and woman here. God, put some still in our spirit, God, that we can make it through things, God, that we give ourselves entirely to your word. Uh, God, your spirit lead us. God, I pray, help us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Reasonable service, you're taking notes. Let's look first to mercies of God here. Paul said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Now, the mercies of God that Paul's talking about here is the things that God has done for us. He has saved us from sin, delivered us from bondage, uh, covered us with his goodness, empowered us with his spirit, uh, called us into service, and gave us a destiny. So I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, because God's done tremendous things for us. Uh, I beseech you, I'm begging you, uh, I'm trying to get your attention, if nothing else, for these things. For all that God has done for you, we owe it to give our attention to him. For every act of kindness, every mercy that God has had upon us, uh, Paul said, I'm begging you to listen. Lamentations 3, uh, your mercies are new every morning. In other words, every morning we start the day off by way of a miracle. Amen. He woke us up this morning. That's a miracle. He commanded our heart to keep beating through the night. That's a miracle. Uh, he's commanded our mind throughout the day to keep functioning. Uh, he's commanded our blood uh, to keep flowing. Uh, uh, these are the mercies of God that Paul's talking about uh, uh, because God has been merciful to us, done great things for us. Uh, I want your attention. 2 Corinthians 1 said, We're comforted by God's mercy. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy and the God of all comfort who comforts us in our tribulation. Amen. God's a God of comfort. Amen. Through His mercies, uh, because of God's mercy shown to us, it goes on to say we can be merciful to others. We can show them mercy that you may be able to comfort those who are in trouble with the comfort in which ourselves are comforted by God. Uh, God's had mercy on us in time of troubles. How many times were you entered into trouble, difficult times? Uh, you're able to call on God or somebody knocks on your door and provides a comfort, amen, uh, uh, a listening ear and speaks to you, talks, or whatever, but that's the mercy of God here. And Paul said, by the mercies of God, because God has so been merciful to us, done so many things for us, I want a listening ear here. 
In our text, Paul's building the case. There's something he wants to say here, something that they need to hear, and something that they must do. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, I'm begging you by the mercies of God here. Because of what God has done for us, his mercy shown to us, uh, amen, uh, we need to hear what he has to say. 1 Corinthians 6, God takes us as we are, changes us, transforms us into a new person. Verse 9, Paul says it this way, neither the sexual immorality, the sexual immoral, the idolaters or adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, shall have their part, or shall inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. In other words, God's been merciful. When you first came to church, you were jacked up, you were messed up, uh, your life was a wreck, it was a disaster, but God took you, uh, cleaned you up, washed you, sanctified you, justified you, uh, these are the mercies of God that Paul's talking about. So he's building a case because all that God has done for you and I, uh, and we all have our own story, our own testimony, uh, how God delivered us, set us free, changed our life. Uh, we can all tell a story. We all have a test. These are the mercies of God that Paul's talking about. And because of God's been merciful to you and I, because God's been merciful uh, to all of us in many ways, uh, uh, Paul says, you need to listen to what I'm about to say here. You know, one of the problems with humanity, with you and I, we have short-term memories. We forget things often, don't we? James 1. For he looks at himself in a mirror and goes away and at once forget what he looks like. Men are good about this. We look in the mirror, our hair's all messed up, our tie, we're wrinkled. Uh, we forget about it real quick. It's our wife catches for out the door. Hey, uh, you don't look like that today? Let me help you out a little bit. But spiritually, it's not good to forget everything. God's been murdered. So Paul is reminding them, uh, because the mercies of God, all that God has done for you and I, uh, listen to me, First Peter, or Second Peter chapter 1, uh, Peter is concerned about the church forgetting what God has done, verse 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these things, though you know them are, are, and are established in the truths that you have, I think it right as long as I'm in this body to stir you up by way of remembering and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. So Paul's kind of, or Peter's kind of using the same thing as, as uh, Paul is using. Uh, he's reminding them about all the good things God has done. God's been so merciful to you and I. Uh, again, we all have our own story of deliverance and different things uh, and we need to remember this. You know, forgetting what you ate yesterday is no big deal, right? Forgetting where you parked your car at the mall, the car can be found. Forgetting your children's name, they're still going to come around. Forgetting your phone number and your address, no big deal. But forgetting the mercies of God is a big deal. And that's what Paul doesn't want this Roman church to do, uh, don't forget what God's done to you. Let me remind you. Uh, let me share some things with you. Because again, uh, Paul is building a case here. He's reminding them uh, all that God has done for them, uh, their salvation, their deliverance, all the good things that has been uh, happening in their Christian life. Because Paul is going to go somewhere. But I mean, sometimes we have to make it real before we get in 
to the water. Uh, we have to, uh, you know, it has to be real before we receive it, in other words. So let's look secondly here to surrendered life. So the first point, Paul is building this case. He wants them to hear. They have, he has something to say that they need to hear. The second point, uh, Paul tells them what they must do. And this is what Paul's trying to get at because of God's been merciful, because God's done so many wonderful things for you and I. There's some requirements here now. There's some things that God is requesting, even more than requesting. Uh, these are some things that God's expecting out of you and I. Uh, because He's been good, because His mercies are so real, uh, every morning, every day to you and I. So Paul says, present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So living a surrendered life to God uh, is just reasonable service to God in His kingdom. So living a surrendered life, let me read it again, uh, present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service. So Paul doesn't leave us guessing here what reasonable service is. He breaks it down. Because to one reasonable service, okay, I'll come once a week to church. Come on. To some, t- to some people, reasonable service would be, uh, I'll give a couple dollars in, in the plate every week. Uh, so we can all say reasonable service that can go up and down any direction uh, left to us. So Paul breaks it down because he doesn't want to leave the gray areas. He breaks it down so to help us live for God. So Paul says first uh, about reasonable service, present your body a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice means dying to yourself. If you're going to live for God, uh, the first requirement, you're going to have to die to yourself. Galatians 2, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the Apostle Paul. He said, I've learned very quickly, if I'm going to live for God, this flesh has to die. He's talking about these inner desires, this will, uh, this fleshly desires that makes him want to do what he wants to do. That has to die somewhere. The will of God has to be stronger than your will. Uh, uh, the flesh has to be under the Spirit. And Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. Galatians 5. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with the passions, with his passions and desires. Crucify here means you've killed areas of our, our lives uh, that stand against God's holiness, that stand against His righteousness, purity, uh, and that stands against a relationship with Christ and the work of God. Uh, we've killed anything that opposes that. We've crucified that. Uh, we're all in. We belong to God completely. Uh, so Paul said, because of God, what God has done for you and I, the mercies uh, that he's shown, uh, everyone's deserve uh, to live this kind of uh, living sacrifice type of life. Everyone's because of what God has done for us, uh, we must crucify this flesh. We must die to ourselves uh, and let Christ shine through us because of the mercies that He has shown to us. Hebrews 10.7 Jesus shows us what a surrendered life looks like. Uh, in full view of the cross, Jesus says these words, I have come in the volume of the books that is written of me to do your will, O God. Jesus knew everything here. He knew that that meant going to the cross, uh, uh, shedding his blood, uh, giving his life, but he said, I come to do your will. I'm not going to fight this. I'm not going to argue with this. I'm not going to say that's too much, uh, but I'm giving my life completely, even 
if it requires a cross, even if it requires that kind of sacrifice. And Jesus set the example for you and I. Now, we're not going to the cross. We're not asked to go to the cross uh, and, and, uh, and die physically. But Paul said, we're to be a living sacrifice. We're to crucify these areas of our flesh that would oppose the will of God, uh, that would stand, and we're expected to do that because of the mercies that God's showing. God's been so merciful, we owe Him a life that's died to self. One of the problems in church then and now is there are people that call themselves Christians, disciples, and believers that just do what they want to do. Can I say it again? One of the problems in church then and now is that people call themselves Christians, disciples, and believers, but live however they want to live. You've seen it. Yeah, you've witnessed that. Uh, you've talked to people. I'm a Christian, but their lifestyle is way off. I'm a believer, but nothing about their life even appears anything close to that. I'm a disciple. That can mean anything. You know, saying a soldier has a commander, a laborer has a boss, a student has a teacher, a fighter has a coach. We call Jesus Lord, but is he? Many in the church today want a Savior, but refuse the Lord. We want Jesus to save us, but not command us. We want to be saved from hell, no, no doubt, uh, but we don't want Jesus to tell us how to live. We don't want Him to get involved in that part of our life, our business, uh, as we say, but listen, because of His mercies, Paul's saying, uh, because He died for us and gave us life, we owe Him this. Judges 17, 6. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and every man did what he was right in his own eyes. That may have been okay then, but we do have a king. And his name is Jesus. And his words are found in the Bible. Uh, amen. So we can't say, well, we didn't know. We know. It's all written right here. Uh, if you ain't got one, get with me. I can get you one. It's all right here. We have a king, and we know exactly what to do, but how many... One, want to be a good fighter, but don't want to coach. I can do this on my own. No, we can't. And Paul is saying, because the mercies of God shown to you and I, we owe God this much. Matthew 7, Jesus said, those who hear and do what I, what I say, their life will be strong against storms and they will suffer no loss. You know, when we live a surrendered life, we have clarity even in our labors. This is what the parable of the, the talents all about. Remember, Jesus gave, told the parable, I'm giving one five talents, another two talents, uh, another one. Uh, the first two that got received a five talent and a two talent, they had clarity. Uh, they knew exactly what to do with this uh, talent. Uh, they went out and they invested. They labored with it. They got an increase. Uh, and the increase was all for the Lord when he came back. Look what I've got you. Look at the return I've been able to get from this. It was all about... Uh, Jesus and the kingdom, uh, but the one who had the one time, he had no clarity. He's saying Jesus is hard, is cruel. Uh, he goes and buries what has been given to him. Uh, and so when, uh, when our surrender's right, when we've died to the flesh, uh, we have clarity. Let me ask you, are you living a life laid down for God? Is Jesus your Lord as well as your Savior? Can He command you, direct you, put weight on you, and use you? Maybe a better way to put it. Because we owe Him that. 
That's what Paul's saying to the Roman church. Uh, listen, I'm begging you to listen to me because there's something I need to say. Uh, and you need to hear it, not just hear it, but you need to, to begin to do this because we owe Jesus this because of what He's done for us. The second thing He's mentioned is holy. Uh, present your body a living sacrifice holy. Holy is connected to the living sacrifice. Holy means dedicated, devoted to a task or purpose with single-minded loyalty. It means consecrated, set apart for a service. Now listen, this is all in the context of laying your life down. This word holy means that we need to be dedicated, devoted to a task, uh, be single-minded, uh, kingdom-minded here. Uh, so, uh, amen. Uh, so Paul said, lay your life down and dedicate yourself somewhere to something in the house of God. This is far beyond just attending. This is what we call all in. This is you can count on me to do my part. That's what that word holy is. I'm going to dedicate my life to preach and I'm going to dedicate my life to whatever your calling is. I'm going to dedicate myself, uh, not just because pastor's looking over my shoulder or somebody's expecting this, uh, because it's a godly thing to do. Because God has been merciful to me, I need to dedicate myself. Uh, these talents, these abilities that God's given to me, I need to uh, work them somewhere in the house of God uh, and let the house of God grow from that. And I'm going to be wholly dedicated to a task. Pastor Howard preached a sermon a while back, faithful but not loyal. Holy means dedicated and loyal to a task. You know, when people get out of the military, their loyalty is tested. Let me talk to the folks in the military for a minute. When they get out of the military, their loyalty, I've had people say, man, it's the greatest thing ever. God's moving, God's speaking, and the moment they get out of the military, they're less tested. You see what's really in them, who's really first, uh, when they have the freedom now to do what they've been saying they should do. You know, here we have Roman Rosie. We have Stephen Roslin, James, Curtis, Sally, Ricky, and Rebecca, Stephen, uh, that have got out, and no doubt their loyalties were tested. They got out of the military. They said, this is the greatest church. Uh, God's moving. God's helping us. Uh, but when they got out, I know mama's calling back home. Family's calling, hey, man, uh, Texas is nice. Hardly no taxes over here. You know how it is in Virginia. They were tested. But they passed the test. They're still here. They're serving. They're laboring. Uh, that's what this word holy is. They've made themselves loyal to the task. Uh, uh, even when I have a time, uh, or they had a time to, to go another direction, I'm free now. Though there's no military way to requirement, I can do whatever I want. They said, our heart is here. We're loyal to this. That's what this word here, holy, means. Uh, I'm, I have a life laid down. Uh, now I'm dedicated to God's task that uh, He has put upon me. And now my freedom to go wherever is not changing that. Third word he uses is acceptable here. Present your body, living sacrifice, holy, and acceptable. This word accept means suitable. Pleasing to the receiver meeting minimum requirements. In other words, this is, uh, you're under some headship here. 
I'm going to make my life count. I'm going to make it suitable and pleasing uh, first to Christ, uh, but then uh, I'm going to make it work within the frame of what God's doing in the house of God. I'm going to be suitable here. I'm not going to be kicking against the goads. I'm not going to be complaining, arguing, uh, God, I don't like this or that, but I'm going to be suitable here. I'm going to make my life count. I'm going to fit in. Uh, I'm going to allow God to use my life. Uh, and this is what Paul's saying, because the mercies of God, because God's been so good to us, we owe Him these things. Look lastly here. Overcome the world's mindset, the worldly mindset. Living for God successfully requires a new mind. Look what our text says. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by renewing of your mind that you may prove was that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. A mindset is an established set of attitudes held by someone. You know, we run into problems when we try to serve God thinking like the world. We can't serve God and be successful when we're thinking like the world. That's why Paul said, listen, you're going to have to be transformed. You have to have a new mind uh, if you're going to live for God and do what's right and do what God expects. Uh, you can't think like the world anymore. You have to have a, a, a godly mindset. How many know the church is not the Navy? It's not the Army, the Marines, or the Air Force either. It's not how you grew up. People, when the, the Word of God begins to challenge uh, what we're in or how we grew up, how uh, know that's when it's real. I know God's bigger than all of that. God's bigger than how we grew up. Uh, God's bigger than the, the military or whatever. Uh, amen. The kingdom of God is above everything we've ever known. The kingdom of God uh, is not, is, it can't compare to anything we've ever done. Uh, that's why Paul said when you get saved... Uh, if you can continue the will of God, you have to have the mind of God here. You can't just have a military mind uh, or that's how I grew up attitude. Uh, no, because uh, if we're going to be successful in the kingdom of God, we have to have the mind of Christ. He said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God expects us to have a godly mind, especially after some time we've been saved. Once we get saved, I know it takes some preaching. I know it takes some reading, some praying. Uh, but at some point, you're expected to have a godly mind. I'm expected to think like Christ, operate like the kingdom of God says to operate. Uh, I can't keep on saying, well, that's how I grew up. I'm just like that. That's, you know, that's how I was raised. That's what the military says. God's bigger than that. The kingdom of God is above everything we've ever known. The kingdom of God is nothing like the world. Paul says, do not be conformed to the world's way of thinking here. It requires, living for God requires a whole new way of thinking. The worldly mind and the mind of Christ are against each other. How many have that happen? Uh, you think one way because that's how you were raised, uh, or maybe that's what the military said to you, but the Bible says something else. Man, there's a, there's a fight going on in here, right? Romans 8. The carnal mind, the worldly mind, is enemy or enemy against God, for it's not subject to law of God, nor can it be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We can't please God by thinking in the flesh. Thinking how the world thinks, or thinking how we grew up, that is never going to please God. We have to have a new mind. Uh, 
Paul said, because of what Christ has done for you, listen to me, I'm going to try to help you, give you some instructions, how to be a fruitful Christian, how to be a productive man or woman of God, and we owe God that because of His mercies. In our text, Paul says, serving God requires a transformed mind. This word transform means a thorough or dramatic change. You know, when I got saved, I had to change what I thought. And I thought, I thought some pretty bad stuff. Come on. I ain't the only one. <laughs> you thought wrong ways, didn't you? You know, I've seen people last for a while on outward transformation, appearance. But those who are going to make it in the long run are changed inwardly. So you can, you can put the tie on, the dress on, look good on the outside, but that's all it is. You're going to last. That's all it is. You're not going to make it. Uh, there has to be a transformation on the inside. Matthew 7. I mentioned this earlier, but I want to read it to you now. Verse 24. Jesus said, Therefore, whosoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, say does them, not just hear them, but does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. This is talking about real change here. But everyone who hears these things in mind does and does not do them. We like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rains descended, the floods came, the wind blew and beat on the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. You know, the one whose mind was set on Christ here in this text, his life, the storms couldn't move. And he lost nothing. The Bible said the man who heard and did, uh, his life survived it. Not only did it survive, but nothing bad happened. The storm is just a test. The storm actually probably made the house stronger. Uh, uh, amen. But he suffered no loss. But the one that was just an outward appearance that looked good on the outside, uh, but the foundation, there's no transformation of life. Uh, there's no transformed of mind. The attitude was a worldly attitude. Uh, when the storms came, he lost everything. Uh, and lost everything in a big way. Listen, to live for God, you have to stand against how the world thinks. You know why? Because the world puts me first. The world doesn't even consider the will of God. It always considers what's best for you, what you feel, and however you want. Oh, it's whatever you want. However you feel, uh, you know, just go do it. If you like stealing today, go steal. If you like being a homo today, go, go be a homo. That's what the world says. The world has no standards. They, whatever you feel, do it. And the world will always tell you that. As Christians, though, we're more than just the outside. Christians more than just come to church. Uh, but Paul said we're to prove or demonstrate uh, that the will of God is perfect, flawless, and without fault. He said, renewing your mind uh, and that, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In other words, when we put God first, uh, 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 when you put God first, uh, we win every time. You set yourself up for a miracle. Jesus provides for you and I. Uh, but we are here to prove. We have something to prove uh, to each other. We have something to prove this world. Uh, and that is the will of God is the best life lived. Uh, Amen. The best thing we can do for us and for everybody around us uh, is do the will of God. 
So Paul said, because of what Christ has done for you and I, uh, we owe him all this. Think what Jesus saved you from. Think how your life was headed before you got saved. Most of us, or half of us, probably would have been in jail. Maybe some in prison. Maybe some divorced and married two or three, four or five times. Who knows? But Jesus saved you. Think what he delivered you from. The sin, the hatred, the bitterness. Uh, God delivered you. And Paul's pulling up all of that because of what God has done for us. We owe him everything. There's not one of us here that can say, God, this is too much. You're asking too much of me. You're asking stuff I can't. No, God, because of what God's done for us. We owe him everything. Let me close here. Talked about the mercies of God. Two, I talked about God's requirements. You think about these requirements. They're not so hard. If you're a real Christian, you want to die to yourself, right? If you're a real Christian, you want to crucify these things that bring torment, these things that bring uncleanness, uh, these things that bring trouble. I want to get rid of that. I, want to, I don't want any of that anyway. Talk about standing against the world mindset. Listen, we're going to have to have a godly mind if we're going to do the will of God. Right? Let's bow our heads this morning. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes this morning.